0: Disarmament matters because it's about the future of our planet. It's precisely when we're at our most vulnerable and our most polarised that we need rules of the game and that we can find ways to manage the risks that our tensions create. And that's why I think disarmament is actually a realistic goal, not an unrealistic uh, vision.
1: Hello and welcome to The Lid is On, a podcast from UN News. I'm Matt Wells. Well, that was Renata Duan, who's one of the most influential voices in the struggle to rid the world of deadly weapons, or at least reverse the current course of proliferation, from nuclear warheads in North Korea to rifles on the battlefields of Central Africa. She says tensions between countries are growing because of a lack of trust and polarisation around the world. And that's exactly why arms control is vital. Disarmament isn't at the end of the rainbow, it's a tool to help manage unpredictability. Paulina Greer spoke to Renata about the importance of disarmament, controlling a new generation of autonomous weapons, and how it affects everything from migration to women's reproductive rights.
2: I'm with Renata Duan. She's the head of the United Nations Institute for Disarmament Research. The institute is autonomous from the UN, It helps the international community prevent conflict and disarm. Renata, from the Institute's perspective, what are the main security challenges facing the world today?
0: Hi, and good to be here with you. The first is, I think, a growing levels of tension between and among states about how to regulate order and governance in the international environment today. And with that polarization, with those tensions, and with that breakdown of trust and confidence you're seeing states resort to a lot more measures of unilateral action of arming themselves of responding to each other's actions in in escalatory or or defensive or aggressive ways and that is building an atmosphere of distrust and further tension so i think we're seeing that Tension and creaks over the what sort of international order and how it's structured, and what are the rules and the games of that order really becoming a, a primary security challenge for us. A second security challenge that we face is protracted conflict. In many of the countries that the UN and other actors work today, we're seeing conflicts that are 10 years and longer. And with that comes whole generations of loss. We see migration as on levels of World War II that we have, haven't seen a refugee challenges and global migration. We're seeing whole generations miss out on experiences, on life, on education, on development opportunities. And then we are seeing things like public health epidemics like we see in Yemen with cholera, like we've seen in Afghanistan with the reintroduction spread of polio. Um, and so we are seeing the impacts of protracted uh, conflicts, and civil conflicts. We're also then seeing significant levels of organized crime and violence, including from terrorist threats, that are having huge effects on the violence levels of societies. If you look at uh, the amount of people being killed by firearms today, beyond Afghanistan and Syria, they're all in countries that are officially not at war. Countries like Honduras, like Venezuela, like Nicaragua. And we're seeing real problems related to the spread of weapons, the illicit spread of weapons, and the lack of control of weapons in countries having a huge impact on people.
2: Can you provide concrete examples then of what the institute is doing to mitigate those threats? Mm -hmm.
0: So UNIDIR is a research institute, and we support countries think and engage on arms control debates and questions around arms control, non-proliferation, and disarmament. And we do that through four main ways. The first is knowledge. Sharing knowledge and ideas about what is going on in our world today and how on conflict trends and armaments trends that may influence then how member states want to negotiate and what they want to negotiate on. A good example of that might be new technologies looking at the issues related to autonomous weapons and what are the moral, legal, political, operational, security implications of autonomous weapons systems. We produce a whole series of what we call primers on that to help member states participate in these negotiations on these topics. Second then is ideas. Trying to frame problems in new ways. One example of that is our work on verification on nuclear weapons. Verification is critical if you're going to ask countries to disarm particularly nuclear weapons. And yet it's hard. Why? Because it gets at questions of trust and it gets at questions of confidence. How can I be sure that you really are getting rid of your weapons? So verification is at the heart of that question. But it's difficult. Countries are very sensitive about what they're prepared to open up to each other, who they're prepared to allow on their ground as inspectors or examiners. One of the things, therefore, we're trying to offer is new ideas on verification. How could we look at verifying the removal of weapons or verifying the the absence of nuclear weapons rather than trying to verify what's there and count that? And these sorts of issues are going to be critical if we ever think, uh, as we progress towards potentially as in the international community looks at progress in the DPRK and how we might address issues around the Korean peninsula. A third area is dialogue. For many of the issues that we have to confront today in terms of security issues, they can't be addressed only by intergovernmental negotiations alone. We need to bring in voices and perspectives, whether that's from experts, whether in the new tech industry it's the private sector, where many of these dual-use technologies like 3D printing that have peaceful uses but also have significant potential for for endangering security and for being a risk and a threat. And so. If we're going to have a discussion about these, we need these private sector actors, these scientists in the room. We need to find ways to engage. Or if we look at gender responsive disarmament and women, we need to have the voices of civil society. We need to have the perspectives of people on the ground grappling with violence today. And the UNIDIR, by virtue of being an autonomous institute, can, I think, have a useful role to play in facilitating and and initiating and enabling and supporting dialogue with perhaps a wider set of actors than is not always feasible inside intergovernmental fora. And the fourth I would say is advice. Where and how, when uh, and as how member states ask us for advice, whether it's intergovernmental processes like groups of governmental experts for the prevention of an arms race in outer space, that's a discussion underway now at expert level here in the United Nations framework, There, UNIDIR serves as the technical consultant for that because we bring some knowledge of space security issues. In a question such as a country grappling with what sorts of national weapons and arms management frameworks does it have, countries like Somalia, countries in West Africa, we've been working with these governments in supporting them as they put in place their own national frameworks and mechanisms and working with regional actors, the African Union, ECOWAS, and other actors to support them as they try to grapple with what can be done at the regional level. So that's an advisory function that I think is rather concrete and practical and says, okay, you've got these treaties, but how do they translate into practical action on the ground?
2: So you had mentioned um, nuclear weapons. Uh, I'd like to ask you more about that, because right now it seems like nuclear-armed states are devoting more and more uh, resources to upgrading their arsenals. Um, How does UNIDIR see this trend?
0: It is the case that the end of the Cold War brought significant arms control agreements that were primarily focused on the Russia and the United States and saw considerable reductions uh, in the nuclear arsenals of both of those countries. We are seeing now um, trends towards modernization and rethinking uh, about the the role and the place of nuclear weapons in a country's doctrines in structures and approaches. And obviously we have to acknowledge that the trends I mentioned of polarization and insecurity and volatility and risk are underlying causes for member states looking at their nuclear arsenals in new ways. But I think some of the new technologies that we've seen have created perhaps the, in my view, erroneous impression that nuclear weapons can be, their use is thinkable that they can be contained and they can be managed, and if you look now at some of the debates in in the academic and other spaces, questions around the usability of nuclear weapons. I think the Secretary General's agenda for disarmament that he launched in May this year is really seeking an appeal to say, we need to reassert and reinforce the norm that a nuclear war could never be won and must never be fought. This was one of the key agreements uh, that emerged out of the end of the Cold War uh, during the period of time of the 1980s. So how can we assert that norm? And that requires the, those countries with nuclear uh, weapons to take that step in in being the first to declare that non-use norm and indeed the norm of non-testing. And of course we have the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization and a Comprehensive Test Ban Framework to prevent nuclear testing. But we also need to look at proliferation and we do see the risks of proliferation. They've been discussed in the Korean Peninsula where we do see the, the DPRK possessing nuclear weapons and in other parts of the world. How do we address the proliferation of nuclear weapons? We have to work hard as an international community to maintain the norm that nuclear weapons does not give certain specific advantages, whether political, whether symbolic, whether operational, and to withdraw and further diminish the incentives for countries to seek to obtain nuclear weapons.
2: Uh, We're speaking right now amid the UN's disarmament week, um, the goal of which is to get people to better understand disarmament issues. Why should people care about disarmament right now?
0: Well, I think it's interesting that when you look at ICANN, the organization that won the Nobel Peace Prize last year, all of their members were under 35. And when you look at the banning of landmines and when you think of the banning of cluster munitions and the progress that has been made to remove these weapons that really have a devastating impact on people's lives, not just during conflict, but for decades afterwards, they have been driven um, and advocated for by civil society organizations. So I like to say that disarmament is too important to be left to experts. It really is a critical issue that young people, and in particular civil society actors, have a a, a, a vital role to play in. Why does disarmament matter? Disarmament matters because it's about the future of our planet. It's about the stability of our planet and it's about our ability to negotiate change as countries, as international actors, in ways that do not result in violence and conflict. And historically, countries transitioned and international order was regulated through conflict. We are now much more aware of the deadly consequences of conflict. And can we find ways to navigate the complexities and the changes of our world today in ways that don't result in more violence and more conflict. And that's why I think arms control is absolutely critical for this period of time. Arms control is not a tool for a happy time. It's not, disarmament is not something that is at the end of the rainbow. It's actually... A mechanism and a tool to help us manage unpredictability. It's precisely when we're at our most vulnerable and our most polarized that we need rules of the game and that we can find ways to manage the risks that our tensions create. And that's why I think disarmament is actually a realistic goal, not an unrealistic uh, vision. And th- I think for that we need to encourage a reignition and a reinvigoration of interest and public attention on arms control and at times it's been there particularly around the threat of nuclear weapons but if we look at how most people die today from conventional weapons and small arms and light weapons and if we look at the perils as well as the promise of new weapons technologies it's become more important than ever that societies and that people are engaged in discussion if we look at the world of cyber threat and new technologies It fundamentally is about the role of the citizen in a society and the role of people and communities. And so I think disarmament is something that has a more pertinence than ever today and is something that I very much hope we can get a more sustained global public conversation about.
2: Lastly, I'd like to ask you about the role of women in disarmament. You had mentioned uh, including the voices of civil society, and you had mentioned specifically women civil society. It seems that traditionally that more men than women are involved in, uh, in nonproliferation arms control. How can women be more involved? So
0: why, first of all, should women be involved in disarmament? Women should be involved in disarmament because women are half the world, to, to use a quote, uh, But it's also important that women are involved around the table because women bring perspectives that address the specific and concrete dimensions of weapons and how they impact women. Uh, A gender-responsive disarmament approach is one that says, where does this arms control issue or challenge affect not just women, but youth, girls, boys? And it allows us to think about a differentiated approach that doesn't see us all as unmutable human beings, but recognizes that we have different needs and different threats. A gendered responsive approach to disarmament recognizes that the particular threat that nuclear weapons has for women on reproductive and other dimensions, chemical weapons too, brings particular threats to women of reproductive age and indeed to children. And we've seen this already in Syria on countless occasions. So we see that gender responsive disarmament is one that looks at the specific needs of different segments of the community, thinks about those factors and tries to address them through policies and tools. We have at the moment now an arms trade treaty that we have over 98, hopefully 99 countries ascribed to this week. And in that arms trade treaty, we're now looking at bringing in gender-based violence as a criteria for countries when they think about export controls. So if you want to tackle some of the biggest challenges that women face in domestic violence and in violence, gender-based and sexual-based violence, having our arms control that looks at those factors and, and sees how they can take mitigating steps is a critical way to have those. I'm not saying that only women can bring those issues on the table, but bringing a gendered responsive framework in is greatly enhanced by having women around the table as part of those discussions.
2: Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
0: Maybe just I would say on the main security challenge that I think one of the key security challenges facing our modern world today is the pace and the speed of technological change. Now we must acknowledge all the good that new technology brings us and the opportunities they bring for People all over the world to to move out of poverty, to enhance their development, to find new and perhaps often more better and sustainable ways to achieve progress on all sorts of the sustainable development goals. At the same time, it is also the case that new technologies pose significant threat, particularly for weapons, both in the lethality, the speed, the targeting. They raise important ethical considerations of accountability, of who controls what. And how can that be maintained? Without that, we have no accountability for international law and international human rights law. So I think it's a critical uh, dimension that we need to think about.
1: Well, that was Renata Dwan, Director of the United Nations Institute for Disarmament Research, speaking to Paulina Greer of UN News. For this edition of our Lid is On podcast, I'm Matt Wells.